0: Welcome to the Picture Books to Gang podcast.
1: I'm Allie. And Corey.
0: I'm Kelly, and we are the Picture Books to Gang. We invite you to join us here every other week while we discuss amazing books and issues in children's literature, as well as early literacy, education, and parenting as it relates to reading. We can't wait to dig in deep and get nerdy about picture books with you. Hello and welcome back to the Picture Books Gang podcast. I'm Kelly, and once again, I am joined by my delightful friends and co-hosts, Allie and Corey. Hello, friends. I'm Allie. Hi, I'm Corey. So hopefully you've gotten a chance to listen to the first few episodes of our podcast at this point. This actually is the very first episode that we're recording um, since the podcast officially launched and went out into the world. So we just wanted to express our gratitude for the outpouring of love and support that we've received since we launched. Yeah, it's
2: actually... Hearing from you guys and your input on our discussions has been such a wonderful experience and sort of surreal because we record them alone together and it just sort of feels like it just disappears into the ether. And so it's nice to hear from you.
1: Absolutely. We couldn't be more grateful to everyone for tuning in and hitting subscribe. And we have so many dialogues. We want to begin so many ideas to share and build with our community here. We have some super exciting stuff coming up and it is
2: really hard not to spill the beans. I'm actually really bad at keeping surprises,
0: but I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) try. We're so excited for all of this, but our love fest out of the way now. Um, We're covering another really spicy topic this week.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, this one might get some people a bit heated in the comments over on Instagram because we are talking about
0: Librarian Fight Club. Yes, I'm fair so fair. pumped for this. <laughs> I just want to be clear that the first rule of Librarian Fight Club
2: is. Well, there's only one rule in the Librarian Fight Club, and that rule is shh. Okay, but also probably no dog earing your pages.
1: But, like, what if I dog-ear my pages? <laughs> anyway, uh, for those of you that don't know, hashtag Librarian Fight Club is an Instagram event where we post a controversial picture book and let the crowd heatedly discuss it. Usually it happens on Ally's page, Read With River.
2: Yeah, I, um, I started doing it last autumn after I came across the book The Giving Tree while I was at school. And um, I thought, I and hate this book. It's just, no. So let's fight about it on the internet. But actually, it was Corey that came up with the name, which has really been a big part of the appeal for everybody.
1: <laughs> I completely forgot that was me. Um, and I'm quite pleased with myself. Yeah, you so should be.
0: Mm-hmm. Bye. Corey, you're the only one of us who hasn't actually hosted a Liberian Freight Club on your page, and I think you better get on that. Yes, 100%. Corey. I want to see you host it. I'll think about it.
1: Um, I have a few that might work. I mean, ideally, it should be a book that is controversial, but definitely has two valid points of view. Otherwise, it's just a public roasting and not a productive conversation.
2: So true. Although, I gotta say people love the salt and those people are me (laughs) a few others at least
0: (laughs) but it's really it's not just about the saltiness though it's truly about critically looking at books books that often go unquestioned and discussing them together so that we can come to a better understanding of them opinions are welcome but we do go pretty hard there are definitely some strong opinions strongly held
2: uh sometimes they're just books I personally find deeply annoying, like uh Pete the Cat and the Construction Destruction Book.
1: Oh dear, here we go she's not oh, going okay. go in oh my no. gosh.
2: <laughs> it just makes no sense okay it I, doesn't
0: i i I detest Pete the Cat, <laughs> like I do not like <laughs> Pete the cat it, It's a cat that goes to school and wears shoes. I think maybe we've gotten past the point of making mm-hmm. sense. No,
2: it, there should be a bar of it making sense. I'm just, I'm going to explain this one really
1: quick because people need to know about it. I mean, there's slightly more serious books that maybe we should talk about, you know, with racist and misogynistic <gasps> elements.
2: Yes, racism and misogynism. We will talk about that. But first, <laughs> I need to explain to this book to you guys. So Pete the Cat, his principal is designing um, a new book Play structure for the school. And so obviously he lets Pete the cat design the play structure. Pete is not an engineer, okay? And then the principal's like, What do you need? Here, have all the money. No, that would not happen. And then the actual plans make no sense. Do not abide by the laws of physics. And then the kids are using forklifts. They're using forklifts and the whole thing falls apart. It was a lawsuit. There's an octopus, okay? (laughs)
0: <laughs> anyways it just and we of agree. course we agree we oh agree. gosh it makes no sense i know you're exhausted now <laughs> My it's blood awful pressure. but it's also going to be okay <laughs> so <laughs> well yes the librarian fight club definitely includes some pet peeve books like that one <laughs> um those ones are really just mildly annoying or nonsensical and they're fun to kind of have a debate about but it was really just dis- created to discuss books with harmful messages under the surface or with perhaps deeply
1: problematic authors in some cases? So we really have to be making conscious decisions about who we are reading and what we are reading, what we're promoting, and that's really what this is all about. Open uh, discussion, dialogue, awareness, making informed decisions... Ideally, these discussions we are facilitating lead to some people removing some of these books from their shelves. A lot of people who come to participate in Librarian Fight Club, or that have been coming to see that, there's actually a whole lot more information out there about these problematic books, and they just absolutely had no idea about any of this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, people
2: are often completely shocked by the information we <laughs> uncover in Library and Fight Club, and it it gets everyone looking critically at how some of these books are unknowingly perpetuating harmful stereotypes uh, that can get pretty deeply ingrained into very young children.
1: We want to encourage everyone to think critically about what they're reading with their children, especially older books that can have some pretty outrageous messages, like that stack of Curious George or Dr. Seuss that might pop up in the school borrow book bag.
0: And when we encounter these books, we need to start discussions with kids about what harmful images or concepts we find in them and also then work on the advocacy of having them removed from places where your children or other children are likely to browse without support, like the school library or classroom library or grandparents' house.
1: So when we talked about diversifying your bookshelf in an earlier episode, we discussed how what you remove from your library can be just as powerful as what you add to your library. We have to take all these things that we are focusing on learning, or really I should say unlearning, and make sure that we are paying attention to what they're reading. That if something feels off, we look into it a really quick Google, or if you wanna do a full deep dive, but truly, truly a quick Google search when you're getting that feeling that something just isn't quite right can be extremely helpful to understand what the problems are with a book. Because chances are that somebody else has already done the work for you. And maybe, you know, even one of us. (laughs) So
0: when you get that feeling um, that, say for example, I I find a representation of an Inuit or native Alaskan person in a book that I think doesn't seem right, uh, I can Google and then say, hey, these humans are pictured with Penguins, which actually only live in the southern hemisphere. So maybe that's a harmful image that will perpetuate a stereotype that I actively do not support as a person because it's racist. And maybe I shouldn't allow it to go unchecked on my kids' bookshelf. So it's time to retire this book. Yeah, people hung on hard to that
2: one that was uh, quite full of problems the 10 little fingers and 10 little toes. Uh, Kelly featured that on inclusive storytime Library and fight club a few weeks back which turned out to have lots of strong opinions and i honestly don't get it it was pretty bland along with being problematic
0: yeah it's not the most exciting book and people were really firm on not wanting to abandon that one like they straight up said that babies wouldn't know the difference so they won't grow up with stereotypical ideals and ingrained prejudice which is just not true it's like, let's move on. There really are much better books out there. Just get rid of the dang book already.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This one has been bothering Kelly for a while. And she's right. There totally is so, so many better books out there than 10 Little Fingers and 10 Little Toes. But personally, I actually do get kind of squeamish when we talk about permanently removing old books because it feels like suggesting book burning, which is not what I'm into. And that's, Not actually what we're suggesting, or at least that's not what I'm suggesting. Kelly might have some marshmallows ready for a nice Dr. Seuss barbecue.
0: Not a barbecue, per se, but I feel like I saw a post way back where someone tossed them in a blender and turned them into recycled paper art, and I didn't think that was a terrible
1: idea. No, that was an awesome idea. (laughs) and. I don't think anyone is suggesting a book burning, but you definitely have to recognize the extreme amount of harm that can come from books like Dr. Seuss, both in perpetuating harmful stereotypes to white children and to Black and Asian folks in their extremely harmful representations. And this leaves deep and painful impressions on kids seeing themselves portrayed in those ways. And we actually We're not going to get into too many specifics about Seuss, um, because The Conscious Kid has illustrated this very well, um, which will be in the show notes down below, but suffice it to say that it has been established that they perpetuate harmful ideas and support the legacy of a racist individual, and people are just not letting go.
2: No, I, I'm not a fan of Dr. Seuss, and I just would rather, you know, throw it in a box with some CDs or something and let it collect dust with all the other useless antiques. But I just say I cannot get over people who know all of, all of the problems around this and say, well, okay, sure, but I really like this one particular book, and I refuse to give that one up
0: that's kind of the thing about some of them, even beyond the problematic parts is they also just aren't that good. There's better rhyming books out there than Dr. Seuss and, of course, in general, all not maybe not all, but many of those so-called classic picture books just don't hold up well over time. The entire value system is just not acceptable anymore. The gender roles, the expected behavior of children, the lack of diversity, the harmful imagery, the language. We can do a lot better.
1: Mm -hmm. And we've been doing Librarian Fight Club for a while now, since it was started last fall, so that we can make it a little bit more lighthearted while being critical of these classics. But We're now in the position that the world is, you know, it has changed and it's finally becoming more palatable or even trendy to examine these classics more closely. So this idea to look critically is coming more into the mainstream and we're seeing it all over Instagram. Notably through the, um, the account children's lit world with her hashtag reconsider lit series, uh, that's been helping a lot of people start looking at the other side and think more critically, which I really appreciate.
0: Me too. I've been appreciating her bringing that into sharper focus for the Bookstagram community and parents and educators as a whole, for sure.
2: Definitely. And, you know, looking at, these classic books you can see that they were just made for another time where misogyny white supremacy toxic masculinity just the whole thing is archaic in the worst way it's not charming people it just reminds me that being a time traveler would have probably sucked unless you were like a rich straight cisgendered white dude who was already stocked up on all the vaccines
1: (laughs) yeah and just because something was old doesn't make it good like I am not going to go give kids lawn darts anymore because they are wildly unsafe. We already figured that out. So it's weird to me that that grip nostalgia holds um, on people when the realities were not that pretty.
0: Yeah, Corey, absolutely. I, I, I understand that we need to leave some space for some nostalgia for that idealized version of a book and our experience of it in that time in the past. But let it stay in the past. It's okay to have those warm and fuzzy feelings about a certain book. Babar, Curious George, Berenstain Bears, Dr. Seuss, whatever it may be. You have memories maybe with a loved one when you were little reading you that book, but why keep reading it to your kids now when you know what it perpetuates? Ask yourself if it actually aligns with your values and why you feel it's more important than real life people that it harms to keep on reading this picture book. Uh, I'm I get a little passionate about this and this whole nostalgia issue.
1: I mean, there is so much information out there and it is our job as parents as educators to listen to that information and to think deeper about why we are uncomfortable with removing these books from our bookshelves. It's really important to pause and listen to your discomfort about these books and topics. Why are you so uncomfortable with taking Curious George off your shelf? And even if you make that decision to take these books off your bookshelf, what is your plan for when kids come home with them? Or say you're a teacher and a student comes in with these books. I think it's important when we encounter these books, we talk about what to do so that we can help kids develop the critical thinking skills. Yes. So...
2: I can use our family as an example. The first time we read the original Curious George to River, um, it was actually not, it was like one of the moonlight projectors, which we really liked the moonlight projector, but carrying on. We didn't, we didn't know what Curious George was really. We just sort of remembered, oh, it was a monkey, but it went up on the wall and suddenly the monkey was being kidnapped against his will in a hat. And then he's, put on a ship and told he has to be good and then he tries to escape and almost drowns and he's smoking a pipe and then he gets thrown in jail like it's just it is wild and we're reading this and I mean maybe we should have stopped reading it that was definitely maybe an option but we just it just kept going and as we're reading it though we we did we did talk about what we were seeing And we talked with River about like, hey, does this seem right to you? And she was like, no, (laughs) no. Maybe he really, that man's a bad man. He shouldn't be kidnapping George. What about George's mommy and et cetera, et cetera. Um, So we did, we were able to have a discussion about what we were seeing and what that really meant and the implications of that together. However, I do have to say, not everybody's prepared to have this on the spot. And two, like Curious George is also really obvious. Like a lot of problematic books are not so in your face about it. They're more subtle, and that's harder to point out on the fly with a three or a four year old.
0: So it would be a huge conversation for a three or a four year old to get into the intricacies of colonialist symbolism in a book like Curious George. And there are a lot of people that might not be prepared. (laughs) kind of conversation on the spot even with an older child. Ali, you maybe might have gone even deeper like when we've talked about that conversation in the past than I might have for that age. And I don't usually hold back. But you know, you know your kid best and you know the level of conversation that works for you and your child. And if you as a listener are, aren't ready to go that deep, it's totally okay. You can say something like, hey, There's definitely some things in this book, whatever book it may be, that our family doesn't really support because they really hurt other people. When it was written, some people thought it was accessible to say things like that, but we don't feel that way today. I'm going to go do some more research about this and we can talk about it more tomorrow so we know what to look for and what to do if we see something like that in the future.
1: And I also want to point out, it's definitely not a problem to model to kids that you don't know everything. In fact, it's really, really good to model that. No one knows everything. Admitting that you don't have the answer is more valuable than telling a half-truth. And I firmly believe that kids need to see adults think through stuff and be involved in those discussions it not only models the process for them and helps them to understand that it's okay to change views on things but also that adults can be wrong and that not knowing everything is okay kids are smart and they can handle frank age-appropriate conversations you know your child or your classroom best so you know the level of information that you are prepared to say or that you're allowed to say in the case of a classroom That you can share with them, but it's really important that you do share the information with them because ignorance isn't actually bliss.
2: Absolutely. I am a firm believer that the most important thing we can teach our children in this day and age is how to think about something, how to question it and its motives, how to get under the surface of what we see or read and ask ourselves, what idea are they selling? Because everybody is selling us some kind of idea. And is it good or bad or true or false? And we live in an age that's all about media flying past our heads. And kids need the tools to dissect, understand, judge, and, and make good decisions.
0: Yes, Ali, yes. Even though we can and should be making an active choice to not have these super problematic books in our homes, I'm also very realistic that my child is going to encounter problematic messages while he's out in the world. He's going to be given these books at school or at a friend's house. He's going to see things that are problematic when he's out in the world, and it's my job. To help him sort through that and ask questions so that he can think critically speak truth to power and have the tools to recognize when there's injustice right in front of his eyes
1: so it's not even just the single act of not having you know dr seuss books as an example that isn't going to solve the problem you the collective universal you Have to be active in speaking about why you don't believe in those books with your kids, with their teachers, and with others in your family and your community. Because we need to teach young people and assist them in finding the common threads between what is wrong with these books and the other media messaging that we all encounter in life and really speak with kids about these issues. If we begin these conversations at a young age, kids will be able to think through and make decisions on their own about problematic situations and make their own informed choices. So let's um, set the stage a little bit here. Let's
2: say I've just found out my favorite book from childhood is problematic. Whoops, you know, existential crisis can commence. Now what do I do? So maybe I already shared that book with my own kids or my students and I need to make some changes. So we're going to break down some of the steps that we can be taking to be more effective and and a better active ally
0: once we know better. So we know better and we do better, right? So, you know, we're doing things like we're asking open-ended questions. We're working on teaching kids to think critically. We're advocating to remove harmful books from spaces that they can do further harm in. And we're talking to our friends about why it might be okay to chuck that super racist series of books in the recycle bin. What else can we do?
1: I'm a big fan of media literacy for kids in general, and especially for figuring out why something might be in a book and why it might not be. Uh, There's this very smart smart woman named Vanessa Rinesmith uh, that I'm completely obsessed with, and I have seen her a few times, and she speaks at length on really thinking about who is left out of a narrative and if that's intentional or not. And I think this is a super helpful reframe to have when looking at books too. Um, She's not even involved in the publishing industry at all, but she just mentioned it offhand. Um, And I think that that's something that we always need to be thinking about because we can't be afraid to call out inequity when we see it, especially when there are little ears around who hear everything.
0: Everything. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and and that all relates into that asking open-ended questions, unexpected questions when you're doing all kinds of things. Even when you're just out existing in the world or in a store, it helps kids to build those critical thinking skills. Give them a chance to wonder why we're having a certain festival in, in our city or give them an opportunity to ask why the person on the billboard looks the way that they do. Um, uh, to, your, to your point, Corey, you know, why isn't a certain other type of person not on that billboard? Like who is being left out? Um, you know, there's so much media coming at them all the time from all directions. And you need to take the time to slow them down and give them the space to think and ask questions back to you. Lean into their inquiry. You will probably learn something from them too. You can empower them to ask their teachers and other caregivers big questions about books, media assignments. Um, And then it's your job to back them up if there's pushback from those people.
1: And I really implore you all as well to think about why something might be problematic to others when it's not directly problematic for you, especially for white people. The world was pretty much designed for us post-colonialization, which also indigenous folks refer to to as post-apocalyptic. Um, you know, we really need to be using our privilege to adamantly say when something isn't right, whether you see that an author is slated to speak nearby when you know that they've had, you know, specific allegations against them. Um, if you notice that a classroom bookshelf is unbalanced and it's representation, you know, what have you, I really don't think that any moment that you notice is too small to speak up and say something about.
0: Snaps. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, I think we have to wrap things up at this point, which is hard because per usual, I think the three of us could stay up all night and yell about this a lot. <laughs> but we want to turn the question back to you, which I think is really important. Head over to our Instagram at Picture Books to Gang and tell us what books you find problematic that everyone else seems to love. And maybe we'll pick your book to do a live podcast fight club in the future. Yes.
2: I am ready for it. Bring me your salt, people.
0: (laughs) We might be in big trouble. Big, really (laughs) big trouble. We're (laughs) in so much trouble. Okay, so we want to thank you for joining in our first discussion about nostalgia, kid-lit classics, and librarian fight club here on the Picture Books to Gang podcast You can follow us on Instagram at Picture Books to Gang, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to drop us a note on Instagram and let us know, what are you reading?